Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Last time at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, we read this final verse, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And that good news, that good news about faith is meant to inspire us. And it leads the author of Hebrews to take the idea of faith and then in chapter 11 go on to to write about faith, the history of faith, the meaning of faith, the significance of it. And in doing that, he begins to write in ways that really become some of the most eloquent and beautiful passages in all of Scripture. You read Hebrews chapter 11, there is a beauty not just in in the ideas that are being expressed, but in the way that they're being expressed. It's hard to read some of these things without getting goosebumps. Faith is the idea that he's trying to unpack. And this morning, we're going to look at just the first few lines of chapter 11, as he introduces this theme of faith, does now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You're thinking about faith and you're wondering, you know, how do we define our terms? How do I understand what faith is? It wouldn't be unusual to go to this passage, right? It's a familiar passage to us. Uh, I always remember it uh, from the King James Version that I grew up with. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when I think about what is my faith, those are the words that come to mind. And yet if you look at this carefully, you'll see that What we're being given here is not a definition of faith. What we're being given really is more of a celebration of faith. It's not that this is how you define the term faith. It's more like this is the significance of what faith is. So listen to the words again, not as a definition, but more as a celebration of what faith is and what faith does. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by faith, The people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. These are all the gifts of faith. It's not a definition. It's a celebration. And it's meant to point us to faith or confidence in things that we can't see. Faith is confidence in the unseen. It's not confidence in our works. It's not confidence in what we can see with our eyes, the reliability of of the things that we can touch and feel and taste. It is a confidence in things that we cannot see. What we're being told here is that kind of confidence is the most important thing. That kind of faith is the most important thing. We think about this word, the assurance of things hoped for. What does it mean, the assurance of things hoped for? Well, 
think about things you're hoping for. Right? When we look off into the future, we imagine certain events that will take place, things that are going to happen. There are certain things we look forward to in the future and we really don't know if it's going to take place. We hope so. We really hope so, but, but maybe it won't. Maybe we won't get the things we're hoping for. Maybe the, the, the joy we expect will not come about. And those of us who are cynical and doubtful tend to think, well, maybe, maybe not. But there are certain things that we look forward to, and we look forward to them with a, a kind of hope that almost doesn't feel like hope because it's more like certainty. But there are certain things that we assume are going to take place, and we really entertain no doubts about them. We are confident that this will be, that this thing that is out in the future is just as real, it is just as tangible as anything else that we can see. That's the assurance of things hoped for. It's not just hoping. It's not just looking in the future and hoping that, eh, I hope it all works out. What we're talking about here are the kind of things that you look forward to and you believe they're going to happen and you really don't even question it. You don't agonize over it. You have assurance. You have certainty. These unseen things feel like they have a concrete reality. That is faith. That is faith. When you look forward to future events that, objectively speaking, may or may not come to pass, and you look at them with certainty, that's faith in action. What is the conviction of things not seen? The conviction of things not seen when you treat the unseen things as if they were concrete reality. It's not just that sometimes we treat future events as if we know they're going to come to pass. We also treat things that we cannot see as if we know that they are true. We talk about ideas like truth and justice as if they're real. You've never seen it. You have no way of proving it. And yet we act as if these things are real. Where do they find their source? Well, as Christians, we say that truth and justice come from the character of God. If those are true things, it's because He is true. But you've never seen Him. You can't prove that He exists. You have no way of, of, of tasting and touching, feeling Him, holding on to Him. That is faith. Certainty in things that have been promised that have not yet come to pass Certainty in the reality of things that you cannot see. That's what faith is like. And when you realize that, you realize that, that as Christians, we're not the only people who exercise faith. Everybody has faith in something. All of us believe in the certainty of things that have not yet come to pass. All of us believe in the reality of things that we cannot see. That is faith. If you think about that, it teaches you a few lessons about the nature of faith that are important for us to remember. The first one is this. Faith is not just another word for irrationality. And a lot of times when we talk about faith, we talk about it as if faith is basically irrational. Right? So if you're discussing the merits of faith, you might um, talk about faith versus reason. Faith versus reason. We need to balance the demands of faith against the demands of reason. And of course, when we frame them that way, we immediately suggest that, that faith is the opposite of reason, that faith is therefore just irrational. 
Like faith is what we do when what we do doesn't make any sense. Right? More normally we go through life and we're intelligent people, we're thoughtful people, but occasionally we have these beliefs that are just a little crazy, and that's faith. Irrational, not grounded in reality, that's the nature of faith. And there are Christians who kind of embrace this. Who kind of see this dichotomy and believe that, that yeah, yeah, faith is irrational. Faith is when you sort of take leave of reason. And more and more these days, we see a value in that. We, we kind of look at faith as an antidote to rationalism, to, to being too logical and that sort of thing. And so some of us find comfort in the idea that when the world is being too, too, uh, I don't know if it's left-brained or right-brained, but whatever side of the brain is the rational side. It's being too like that, playing by the rules, caring too much about the evidence and the structure of things. And we need a little bit of irrationality, a little bit of whimsy in our lives, and that's the value of faith. That we can have a, a pocket where we indulge ourselves in believing things that don't actually make much sense. The problem with that is it's not at all the way the Bible speaks about faith. I confess that a lot of people believe that faith is just another word for irrationality and sometimes act as if and live as if their faith is, in fact, an embrace of irrationality. All I'm saying is that's not what the Bible means when the Bible talks about faith. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about confidence that isn't like a confidence that flies in the face of reason. It's more like a confidence that builds on the foundation of reason. If you want to get a taste of this, turn in your Bibles to 1 John. If you look at the epistle of 1 John, and the way that this opens, John begins by explaining why he has written this letter. And when you hear the words that he says, you'll see that there is some, some language of, of evidence here. He talks about evidence here are John's words. This is, uh, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And when you hear John's motivation, you hear him talking about the things we have heard, the things we have seen, the things we have touched, the things that were made manifest to us, the Word that was with the Father was made flesh, was manifest, was visible, was touchable. And we experienced these things, and this is why I'm writing to you. So these are not the words of a man who's saying, look, you know, Roman culture, you people, you're so logical, and you just need to get in touch with this other side of yourself, the, the, the irrational side, not at all. What he's saying is, this is real. We experienced this. We saw it with our eyes. We heard the words firsthand. Right? We tasted 
We lived with the Word made flesh, and now we share it with you. We bear witness to you. So the kind of witness that John is bearing is evidentiary in nature. It's the same thing that we do when we testify in court. Right? You don't go to court and testify about your feelings. You go to court to testify about what you witnessed, what you saw, what you heard, that sort of thing. Same idea here. You see, the kind of faith that the Bible is talking about is not a suspension of disbelief. It's not really an irrational leap. In John's eyes, he's asking you to build on a concrete reality that was seen and heard and witnessed by a lot of people who now bear witness to it. It's a different kind of thing than we typically realize. It builds on top of evidence. Faith may be a confidence in things to come, but it is a confidence that, that is built on things that have already happened, that have already been witnessed. In other words, the things we have seen give us confidence in the reality of unseen things. The things we have seen give us confidence in the reality of unseen things. But what had John seen? What had he heard? What had he touched and tasted? Literally, the Word made flesh. Right? Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh. This is what he was bearing witness to. That was the seen thing that he was bearing witness to. So that he could have confidence in the unseen thing, which was Christ to come. Right? The confidence that he had that Christ would come was based on the reality that Christ had come. John had seen it, and so he had faith that the one who would come would come again. It's not mere irrationality. It's not saying, I believe despite all evidence to the contrary. Faith is believing right, that the things that we're seeing are merely a foundation to bring about the things that are not yet seen. Faith is not just another word for rationality. Faith is also not the absence of skepticism. The absence of skepticism. Uh, faith is not you saying, I believe because I can't think for myself. But you notice every time you're driving down uh, Minnesota Avenue, maybe 41st, the local atheist society has decided to wage rhetorical war on the billboards of our city. Uh, and, and honestly, I love seeing what they come up with. I drive down and I'm always paying attention, hoping there'll be a new one. Uh, some of you know, like my first job out of high school was typography. There's a certain kind of typography, you know, the letters that you use uh, to convey your ideas that I describe as self-refuting. In other words, if you design your, your words to look a certain way, no one will take them seriously because they look crazy. And fortunately for us, apologetically speaking, the Atheist Club uses this kind of typography. So it always looks a little bit wacky when you see these things. But I pay attention to them, and I recognize that, that behind them is a sort of uh, uh, fervency, right? There's this urge, this need. Clearly, the people who are putting these billboards up believe they're surrounded by darkness. They're surrounded by irrationality. They're living in a world basically full of religious robots, and, and they're trying to wake people up and get them to realize that... that they need to take a second look 
uh, they need to take off the straitjackets and start thinking for themselves. Right? They think of themselves as, as skeptical. Right? They think of themselves as free thinkers. And they just want you to be a free thinker too. Because if you could become a free thinker, then you could start thinking what they think. There's a little bit of an irony. If you're free to think for yourself, then you'd think like us. Thank you. What's the problem with faith in their minds? If you put yourself in that position, which you really should be able to do, but we can certainly sympathize with people who reject Christ. We can sympathize with people who, who doubt his word. And what is it? What is, what is the objection? Like The objection not to faith, but the objection to being surrounded by people who have faith. Right? If, if I don't believe in what you believe, couldn't we just live and let live? Why do I need a campaign of billboards? You know, why is it so important to try to put that message out there? Well, I think the problem is that, that if you're putting up those billboards, it's because you are surrounded by people who you think are just too credulous. Right? These are people that are just not skeptical enough. They are too quick to believe things, whether those things make sense or not. Uh, they're a little, let's face it, not as intelligent as you because they would believe what you believe if they were as smart as you are. That credulousness is the problem. And so oftentimes when you read, you know, especially atheist polemic against Christians, it revolves around that assumption that the reason why you're a Christian, the reason why you have faith is you're just not skeptical enough. Like, people tell you crazy things, and instead of asking obvious questions, you're just like, oh, okay. Somebody raised from the dead? Somebody, like, like went around healing people? Okay, sure, whatever, I'll believe that. So the problem with religion is basically the problem that, that people are just way too quick to believe crazy stuff. Credulousness. Faith is just the absence of skepticism. If you just had a little more skepticism, you'd have a little less faith. Of course you believe, because you'll believe anything. And yet, it hasn't been my experience in the church that, that people who believe in Christ will believe in anything. If you think about it, to have faith in Christ is not just to have faith in Christ, it's also to have like, like the opposite of faith in everything else. To believe in Christ is also actively to disbelieve in every other Savior, in every other system and religion. I'm not just accepting Christ. I am rejecting everything else that wants to get into his place. And I would argue that's not an absence of skepticism. It's actually a really healthy skepticism. Because what it means is that by trusting in Christ and the truth of what he said, I can be really skeptical about everything you're telling me. That we actually can be skeptical because of faith. In fact, in order to embrace faith, you must be skeptical about a lot of things that people in the surrounding world accept seemingly without question. It hasn't always been this way, but certainly now, in order to embrace Christian orthodoxy, you have to reject a lot of other orthodoxy. There are a lot of other beliefs that you must not put trust in in order to put trust in Christ. This idea that people have faith because they're just not smart enough or not skeptical enough goes back not as far as you might think. It's a 20th century phenomenon. Malcolm Muggeridge 
wrote these words describing Blaise Pascal. If you don't know, Pascal was uh, a significant figure in the development of mathematics and science, but he was also a profoundly Christian thinker. In writing about the work of Pascal, Mugridge makes this observation. He says, like all true believers, Pascal was deeply skeptical. His intelligence was wonderfully astringent and critical. It is one of the fantasies of the 20th century that believers are credulous people, sentimental people, and that you have to be a materialist and a scientist and a humanist to have a skeptical mind. But of course, exactly the opposite is true. It is believers who can be astringent and skeptical, whereas people who believe seriously that this universe exists only in order to provide a theater for man must take man with deadly seriousness. I believe myself that the age we are living in now will go down in history as one of the most credulous ever. The truth is that the farther our faith reaches, the more doubts it encompasses. As from the highest hills, there are the fullest vistas. I don't find myself as a Christian wishing that people would be less skeptical in this world. I find myself wishing they would be more skeptical. Because you're surrounded constantly by ideas that could use a little skepticism. We're constantly discovering in our culture new things, never understood before by human beings in the whole history of humanity. And we accept these things by and large as if they must be true, whether they're proven or not, because everyone else is adopting them too. Wouldn't it be nice if we were skeptical about these things? If we had a little bit more perspective of the past, we were willing to ask difficult questions. So far from wanting you to be less skeptical, I think you should be more skeptical. More skeptical about the world you live in. Your faith in Christ gives you the means to be skeptical of everything else. Pious Skepticism, I think, is a good way of describing how the Christian ought to live in this world. So the author of Hebrews, as he talks about faith, goes further. In verse 2, he gives us an example of faith in action. He says, for it, for by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, the people of old received their condemnation. Sorry, (laughs) their commendation, not condemnation commendation, their approval, in other words. So he's referring here, of course, to what we might think of as the Old Testament saints. And the author of Hebrews has brought this up a number of times, that the Old Testament saints, people like Abraham, for example, they were commended or approved of or justified by God because of their faith. It was because of their faith in the promises that they had received Promises that had not yet been fulfilled. So a faith that was in things that were as yet unseen. Because of that faith, that confidence, they were justified. That's how they were justified, by faith. Their reward came from their confidence in the concrete reality of God's yet-to-be-fulfilled promise. And that's how it worked for them in the past. Now, what he's doing here is interesting. So imagine the original audience who's reading this work. There's one aspect of this sentence that they do not doubt. right? If you're reading this work as them, you've grown up under the Old Testament system. You've grown up with a sort of pantheon of heroes of the faith. People from what we would call the Old Testament 
who are held up to you as role models, as object lessons, that kind of thing. The one thing you know is that those people were approved of by God. Right? Those were heroes of the faith. So that we can agree on. What the author of Hebrews is, 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 is pushing at is why they are he- heroes of the faith. They were heroes of the faith not because of their work, but because of their faith. That's the new element that he's introducing. So he's taking something the audience already knows, already agrees with, and then he's showing them that thing you agree with, you realize, right, that was because of faith. They're showing you again what faith does. That in the lives of those people that have been held up to you as role models, those people, it was by faith that they were justified. They lived by faith, just as we are called to live by faith. Right? There's a connection there to the seen and the unseen, right? because their faith was in things that they did not see. They saw some things. They saw the sacrifices. They were being made in the temple. That was tangible. That you could see. That you could hear. That you could even taste those sacrifices. But the sacrifices that the priests were making is not what their faith was in. Their faith, their confidence is with the sacrifice not yet seen. The sacrifice that was to come. So their faith was what you might think of as an eschatological faith. In other words, it pointed to the end of time, pointed to the future. Their faith was forward-looking. They're being given an example. Here's a faith that looks to the future. Here's a faith that says if what is unseen is more real than what is seen, then what is to come is more real than what is. If the unseen things are more real than the things we see, then the things that are to come are even more real than the things that are already here. And then in verse 3, he gives us another example of this same kind of thing. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So again, it's the same structure. right? Something that the audience already believes in, we're now being told it's because of faith. It's because of faith that you believe in this. Now, the structure is the same, but the direction is different because the eschatological faith we saw before was forward-looking, but now we're looking backwards. Right? At first we were looking to things to come, the sacrifice to come, and now we're looking back to the creation of the world, saying that it is by faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God. One thing they have in common, of course, is the object of the faith, which is Christ. Right? People of old, they had faith in the sacrifice that was to come, which was Christ. We look back on creation, and by faith we understand that it was brought about by the Word of God. The Word was Christ. Right? John says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. So in both cases, whatever direction it's pointing in, the object of the confidence is Christ from beginning to end. So the eschatological faith in verse 2 points to Christ's first coming and by implication his second coming. If he's come once, he'll come again. In verse 3, it points to Christ as creator, word of God. And the point is this, that faith assumes the visible is born of the invisible and beholden to it. The reason why it's important to say that by faith we understand that the world came about not through things that are seen, through unseen things, Faith is making an assertion about the nature of reality. Faith is saying the visible, the things we can see, are born of 
the invisible, the things we cannot see, and are beholden to them. In other words, what we can see, the world we can see, owes something to the world we cannot see. It has obligations. It has responsibilities. It has a purpose. All of that stuff originates in the unseen things which are higher and better. And this is the point of what he's saying. That, that to be a person who has faith in Christ is to be a person who acknowledges that this world, that this life, is not all there is. And that this life is beholden to the life to come. That this world that we can see and taste and touch is beholden to the Word who brought it into existence, who we cannot see. And so nothing in this world can be an object of faith for us. Our faith must be directed towards those unseen things. Which brings us to our last lesson of faith. Faith is not another word for irrationality. Faith is not just not being skeptical enough. Finally, faith isn't a barrier to understanding. It's a bridge. Faith is not a barrier to understanding. It is a bridge. There are a couple of things to see in this, this final sentence. By faith, we understand the universe was created. And one thing that this is not saying is, well, science is against us, so we have to take it all on faith. Which is the way we're prone to read this verse now. Right? We see, oh, by faith we understand that the universe was created. Well, we know by science that it wasn't, so we must take it on faith that it really was, despite everything else that we know. I just want to point something out to you. So, in the original context, and these words are being written, how many people in the audience or in the world don't believe that the world was created by God, by the gods, by some divine something or another? It's Basically, no one. So these words are being written into a culture where everybody agrees that the universe was created, that it was brought into being by a god, a group of gods, or something like that. That's not the controversy that the author is speaking to. He's not saying, look, I know. You know, there's a lot of skeptical Greeks and Romans out there who, who don't believe in this supernatural stuff. But, but we just have to take it on faith. Not at all. They all believe in this supernatural stuff. So what is the point? The point is the same as it was before. The point is to point out that everybody has this confidence. We live in a world that is physical, that is material, and yet everybody knows that its origin is immaterial. Everybody knows that it has come to pass either by, by our God or their God or their gods or whatever. And what is that? It's faith. It's faith. You weren't there. You didn't touch it. You didn't taste it. There's no one there to bear witness to you. No other human beings saw what happened and can tell you, oh, no, actually, it was Zeus. I know what you were thinking, but I was there. No. It is by faith we understand these things. It is by faith that we have confidence that God has made all things. Everyone at that point had confidence in some kind of creation because the world was here and it had to come from somewhere. The point here is that it's faith. That it is faith. By faith we have confidence 
that what we see is not all there is. That true things exist apart from the material world. Even materialists. They may not believe this, but they act like they do. Right? So we live in a time when materialism reigns supreme. In other words, uh, I don't mean that people are materialistic, although of course they are, but that uh, materialism is basically the idea that, that, that what is real is what exists uh, physically. Like the physical world is all that is real. Nothing beyond the physical is real. If there's anything beyond that, I talked about truth and justice earlier. Truth and justice are abstract concepts that real physical human beings have invented, like in our minds, but they don't have any reality outside of human construction. That's a materialist way of looking at the world, right? Nothing that cannot be proven, demonstrated through science can be real, except for a few things that just sound very sciencey, and so we give them a pass, whether they can be demonstrated or not. But the point is, a materialist believes that only the world of the senses is real. Only that is real until you make him angry. Until you challenge the immaterial things that he too values, that he thinks are important. Very few of us live by philosophies like that. Even materialists act as if the unseen things are real and matter in certain circumstances, which is good. I mean, I would hate for them to be too consistent with that belief. I would hate for them to lose all of their faith in the way the world is. Now, what I mean when I say that faith isn't a barrier to understanding but is a bridge is basically this. In the same way that that math and logic, in order to function, you have to take certain things as axiomatic. right? You assume certain things to be so, and when you've made those assumptions, you're now able to prove things, to demonstrate things as a consequence. But, But you have to assume the truth of those axioms. You have to recognize those basic structures in order for logic, math, whatever, to be intelligible. Right? As soon as you start trying to teach math to someone who decides 2 plus 2 can be anything they want it to be, whatever it feels at the moment, uh, you can't do it any longer. It, it stops making sense. And of course, you know, at least now, we're in a sort of cultural moment where... Uh, it's, it's not hard to make the case for why 2 plus 2 equals whatever you feel it equals, right? I mean, in some sense, it can mean whatever you want it to mean, as long as nothing's relying on the answers being true. So in the same way that we assume certain things to be axiomatic, in order to further our understanding, faith is a confidence that furthers our understanding. By faith, we understand. It's possible by taking certain things to be true, to have a deeper understanding of the world that God made. So faith is a basis for knowing, not an obstacle to it. Anselm of Canterbury. uh, This is uh, the Anselm who basically started the Church of England way back when following this passage in Hebrews 13.3, and also following Augustine who went before him, said that, that understanding proceeds from faith. This is his famous line, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but rather I believe in order that I may understand. In other words, I'm not out there looking for reason to believe. 
Instead, I'm taking faith and applying it to understanding. Faith is driving me further into my understanding of the world. Faith is the place to stand. Remember Archimedes once said, if you give me a lever and a place to stand, I can move the world. And, and faith is the place to stand that lets you understand the world that God made. C.S. Lewis said the same thing in a, in a pithier way. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So his faith wasn't just the sun exists because I look in the sun and there it is. It's that because of it, I'm able to see everything. His faith in Christianity wasn't just I look to Christianity and I test its truth claims and they are real. It's that by seeing the world Christianly, it becomes intelligible in a way that it wasn't before. By its light, I see. So knowledge, far from being eradicated by faith, can become a foundation. Like faith is a foundation for knowledge. And knowledge of the most important things, the unseen things, comes only with faith. We're told in Hebrews 10, those who have faith preserve their souls. Those who have faith preserve their souls. But again, the important thing about that is not the faith. It's the object of the faith. It's what the faith is in. The point isn't to be a person of faith. To be faithful. The point is to have, as an object of faith, Jesus Christ. It's not a generic faith, but a faith in Christ to come. I'll end with these words from Peter. Thinking about our faith having its object in the unseen things, in Jesus Christ who has not yet come, in the promises of God that have not yet been fulfilled, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And my hope for every one of you is that you would have that faith, that confidence in Jesus Christ that says He will do what He's promised to do. He will come again. The faith that is the salvation of our souls. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.